Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. So if that had been Joe Biden and not Mitch McConnell stopping mid-sentence and then going catatonic, eyes glassy, unblinking for 30 seconds before he had to be led away by his colleagues, then reappearing later to mumble he was fine and make a bad and inappropriate joke. What would our world be like right now if that had been Biden? How many Republicans would have already demanded Joe Biden resign? How many hundred? How many thousand? How many of the more reasonable Republicans would have demanded that the cabinet invoke the 25th Amendment? How many of the really reasonable ones would have merely asked why he hadn't been taken instantly to Walter Reed Hospital? Would have demanded to have had the full diagnosis and prognosis and history and have it supplied to them immediately? Would have insisted on written proof that this was the first time and would be the last time? And how many of them would have been shouted down, overwhelmed, drowned out, the reasonable ones, by the instantaneous claim of cover-up and scandal and crisis and disaster and the barely hidden glee and the thinly veiled hopes it was a stroke or fatal and the only question would have been if Fox and Newsmax and all the others would have dropped all commercial breaks to keep the drumbeat going. Episodes, stroke, aneurysm, TIA, seizure, incompetence. That was a double. The real one fled the country. Resign, resign, resign. 
I guess that would not be the only question because we could only guess how many times and how many ways Hunter Biden would have been worked in there. And maybe most importantly of all, we must guess how many of the so-called news operations and liberal networks network would have done exactly the same thing Fox and Newsmax would be doing. And I get it. I get the one actually relevant point in here, the difference in importance between the president of the United States and the minority leader of the Senate is so vast that for all intents and purposes, it is approximately the same as the difference in importance between the president of the United States and a passerby at K Street and 14th in Washington. But as the Mitch McConnell video was treated so matter-of-factly, an NBC reporter headed it with the word flag, as in, keep this in mind for later. The next star TV reporter called it an odd moment. Almost all other reporters referred to what was at minimum a post-concussion trauma event as, quote, freezing. All I could think of was the Trump COVID hospitalization in October 2020 and how the nation was flat out lied to about how serious it was and how they were on the verge of intubating him. And I also thought of the still mysterious Trump trip to Walter Reed in November 2019, which we did not get a hint about for nearly two years until one of his former press secretaries finally wrote it was a colonoscopy and Trump refused to let them tell anybody it was a colonoscopy because he thought it would make him look weak and that everybody would make the obvious butt jokes about him, even though if he had said that part about the butt jokes, it would have been the first sign of self-awareness in his entire life. I'm thinking about Trump, president of the United States, no matter how that happened and no matter what it means to you, lying through his teeth about his health and once lying through his teeth about his health and nearly killing a garden full of people as a result. And then Mitch McConnell yesterday turning into a statue four months after a concussion. And when they finally get a comment from him, he turns it into something insulting about President Biden's health and the incident where Biden tripped over a badly placed counterweight at the Air Force Academy commencement. Well, the president called to check on me. I told him I got a sandbag. Oh, no. How are you feeling now, sir? Uh, How are you feeling now? I'm fine. Have you seen a doctor? Are you going to see Any a doctor? Any idea what happened? Huh? Any idea what happened? I'm fine. That's Remembering that in similar circumstances, his party's last president and likely next nominee would happily push a Democratic Senate leader down a flight of stairs if he thought nobody could prove he did it. How generous of Mitch McConnell to respond to the president's concern, to respond to his old pal Joe Biden's concern. And I am sure the concern was genuine, but it doesn't matter. Even if it was merely tactical, Trump wouldn't have called for any reason. How generous it was of Mitch McConnell to turn it into a shot at Biden's own health. And, oh, nice, the reporter says. Don't ever tell me again we have a liberal media in this nation. I have said this before, and I will say it again, God knows how many thousand times. I have 
500 complaints about sports media in this country, but if tomorrow we left the top 25 people in each field exactly where they were, but we swapped all the rest, all of the sports reporters for all of the news reporters, immediately, without training nor time to get their feet wet, the quality of political coverage in this country would improve 10,000%. The collapse of the Hunter Biden plea deal is actually a news story for once, though, of course, not the news story you may be hearing. Firstly, the judge who knocked it down, the Trump appointee, yes, a Trump appointee, a Democrat whom Biden has since considered for a higher court nomination, nominated by Trump, I'm sure kicking and screaming as part of a bipartisan package deal of judges from both parties, so that umbrage against her is misdirected, as is... Republican celebration over their great victory. Two important points that were missed once again, not just in the great overflowing toilet of right-wing propaganda affixed with the brand name, quote, news, unquote, but by a lot of the supposed real news as well. Two important points in this story yesterday that nobody wanted to notice. The judge noticed a small detail that Hunter Biden and his attorneys clearly thought they had negotiated blanket immunity in this plea from any further prosecution for anything connected to this. Well, the Department of Justice just as clearly thought the deal pertained only narrowly and specifically the revised deal may actually turn out to be more generous to the president's son than the one he had agreed to, thanks to this judge's intervention. And more relevantly to the nonsensical political circus here, only Jim Jordan, of all people that I saw, noticed that the fact that the plea deal has been for now set aside and Hunter Biden has pleaded not guilty means that this is once again, in unequivocal terms, an active Department of Justice investigation. And guess what? The Department of Justice never lets Congress have its choice of who it gets to hear from on an active Department of Justice investigation. Jordan says he wanted to call 12 different DOJ officials to testify before his uh, Committee on uh, Manufacturing Controversy. But, quote, my guess is now that it's ongoing because of how it all goes, they'll probably tell us we can't talk to those folks until the investigation is completed, unquote. Jordan will get to hear from the prosecutor, David Weiss, and he better be happy that he gets that much, and he better smile while he listens. Nobody will ever stop Republicans' intent on avoiding actual issues and actual governance and replacing them with raw meat for their morons, but Judge Norica in Delaware just reminded us that while you can't stop them, you can hope to contain them. Something has been going on with the Jack Smith Trump Washington grand jury. I'll be damned if I know what, and I'll be damned if I know if it's big or if it's trivial, and I'll be damned if I know if it means the next indictments will be sooner or will be later, but something is going on. 
Trump's freakout continued into its second day yesterday, and I mean it's a freakout beyond his usual state of freakout. His social media feed is full of those things he does that read like transcribed sheep bleats. Election interference. Bah. Witch hunt. Bah. Prosecutorial misconduct. Bah. The Smith grand jury is believed to be meeting today at 1 p.m., unless it isn't. It now looks like it did not meet, or in any event, it did not meet about Trump on Tuesday. And yet Trump freaked out minutes after it would have finished its business for the day Tuesday. It is absolutely possible that it is just Trump knowing more indictments are coming and not knowing when rather than knowing when. But I have known this monster for 40 years now, and that is not my sense of this. And he may enrage me as skillfully today as he did in 1983, but he doesn't surprise me anymore. Maybe Trump was freaking out over the spotting of Mark Meadows in Washington yesterday, apparently at random by accident by NBC. He was asked if he had testified in the January 6th case, and he said, I don't talk about anything J6 related. And if you were wondering if Meadows has flipped, he erased your wonder by using that shorthand. You do not call it J6 unless you are so tired of talking about it, because that is all you have been talking about to prosecutors and grand juries. Maybe Trump was freaking out over the Rudy Giuliani cover of Midnight Confession by the grassroots conceding overnight Tuesday, Wednesday, stipulating in legal parlance that he did make false statements about Georgia poll workers Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. This is, in some respects, like the Hunter Biden plea deal. Rudy thinks he just saved everybody's lawyer's fees by saying he said those things about the two poll workers. But the wording of the actual filing that he provided includes the admission that what he said proves, quote, intentional infliction of emotional distress, which, as several lawyers noted, means he is admitting both the falsity of his statements and his bad intent in making those statements. If Trump somehow understands all that, it is absolutely possible he is wondering what Rudy is willing to confess to next. Or maybe Trump is freaking out about Ken Buck. Ken Buck is the Colorado congressman, more importantly from the Judiciary Committee, and more relevantly from the Freedom Caucus. This is impeachment theater, Buck said yesterday. I don't think it's responsible for us to talk about impeachment. And he added, Kevin McCarthy is using it as a, quote, shiny object. And there is no question that right now, Republican leadership is far more worried today about Ken Buck's brain than it is about Mitch McConnell's. And then, for comic relief, there's Marjorie Toddler Green. Marjorie Toddler Green went on Newsmax and showed she believed, perhaps correctly, that the Trump cult is dumber than we can measure with the science currently available here in the 21st century. Not only is the Russian invasion of Ukraine a Joe Biden plot, she says, but, quote, I would argue that there is collusion between Joe Biden and possibly more people with the impeachment hoax. 
So Joe Biden, literally out of office, out of all offices, from the day Trump became president until the day he stopped being president, Joe Biden was involved in impeaching Trump twice because magic. And incredibly, that wasn't even the dumbest thing Marjorie Toddler Green said this week. Just what the hell was this yesterday supposed to mean? This type of funding, $86 million, again, should not go towards educating people about gender and gender bias, educating people about their skin color, educating people about how they un- think unconsciously without knowing how they think. Hamina, hamina, hamina. Educating people about how they unthink unconsciously without knowing how they think unthink. Somebody read George Orwell. Unthink unconsciously without knowing how they think. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. You know me too well. I would do another Mitch McConnell joke here, but I'm already feeling queasy about having done the first one. Okay, also of interest here, yeah, I got some bad news about your plans for your next vacation. Also about your plans for the next 50 years. Remember the underground temperatures in Sicily that I mentioned being so high that they melted all the electrical cables? Well... The above-ground temperatures in Arizona are so high that they are sending people who simply fall and who fall down instead of falling up and thus hit the asphalt. The temperatures are sending people who hit the asphalt to the burn ward. Also, just to cover the whole earth, the underwater temperatures are so high off of Florida, you will not need a jacuzzi anymore. It's no big deal. It's just climate change, skipping climate crisis, and going directly to climate catastrophe. That's next. This is Countdown. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Manatee Bay, Florida. They are waiting for verification of these measurements, but a buoy off the Florida coast registered 100.2 degrees Sunday night and 101.1 degrees Monday night. And those would be the two highest water records for Earth. That is the temperature they recommend for your jacuzzi, in fact. To the south in the Florida Keys, kayakers are reporting widespread bleaching of coral reefs and many deaths of coral reefs. Dateline Maricopa County, Arizona. Every one of the 45 beds at the Arizona Burn Center in Phoenix is occupied. The director there says one-third of the victims are people who simply fell and hit the ground and suffered burns from being exposed to the ground. Serious burns are being recorded after just a few seconds. Third-degree burns are being recorded from those who hit the pavement and stay there for as little as 10 minutes. Some burns, the doctors say, are like those received by people who have survived a burning house. The temperatures of the asphalt in Phoenix have reached 180 degrees. Dateline Yazed, Iran. It is one of the driest and hottest cities in the world, and it does not have air conditioning, which, as I mentioned yesterday, doesn't work anyway in the Sicilian city of Catania because the 115-degree temperatures there melted all the underground electrical cables. In Yazed, they have 700 badirs, which are cooling towers built right into homes using techniques developed 2,500 years ago to draw cooler air down from higher in the atmosphere, and also kanats, shafts from underground water supplies that draw the water and the cooler air upwards from underground. We may want to build some of them fast. And by the way, I don't know what to make of that UFO hearing yesterday in Washington, other than to wonder if there is a government conspiracy here, if it's to send the craziest sounding people to talk in public about how they have seen them. I, I don't know if they exist or if we have encountered them. I would bet, however, if they are coming here, they are coming here to see Earth before we destroy it. The alien Earth tour companies, in fact, may be holding a going out of business sale. Thank you, Nancy Faust. Dateline Hollywood, hard to believe a month after his firing, Chris Licht is still screwing up CNN. You may remember him from the, like, 97 episodes of this podcast where I, I may have mentioned that back when we worked at the same time at MSNBC, we all used to think he ate paste. 
The Hollywood industry publication Variety did a little revisionist history of the firing of Chris Licht at CNN. 4,000 words of it written by the executive editor of film and media Tatiana Siegel, in which Licht is presented as the victim of a campaign of character assassination led by his predecessor Jeff Zucker, which would be a neat trick since Chris Licht would need to have some character to be assassinated. Siegel wrote of sources telling her that Zucker had held meeting after meeting with this foreign investor or that foreign national to get money to help him buy CNN. Each meeting, though, in the article was forcefully denied on the record by a Zucker spokesman. Siegel also attacked the reporting in the piece by Tim Alberta in The Atlantic, the piece that finished Licht off, claiming Alberta had had just four meetings with Licht, used off-the-record quotes that he was not supposed to use, and that according to two sources, there was a problem with the most lingering and damaging of the anecdotes when Licht at his trainers at 5.30 in the morning, allowing a reporter to be present there, finishes a strenuous workout and says, quote, Zucker couldn't do this uh, spit. The Variety writer Siegel says it was the Atlantic writer Alberta who actually said that and Licht was merely repeating it. The editor-in-chief of the Atlantic issued a long reply to the Variety piece, which begins with one pretty much unanswerable statement journalistically wise, quote, no one quoted Alan Alberta's 1,500-word story, and no one associated with the issues raised in the piece has asked us to correct any aspect of the article. Tim Alberta also replied himself to Tatiana Siegel, saying he used zero off-the-record details or quotes. He met with Licht on seven different days, and as to the Zucker couldn't do this quote, with two sources complaining Alberta said it and Licht merely repeated it, Alberta notes there were only four people present at the time. Himself, Licht, the CNN PR person who didn't quite hear it and asked Alberta to tell him what Licht had said, and the trainer who was on the other side of the room and didn't hear it. In short, the variety piece looks like a very late, very shoddy attempt to make Chris Licht look like the victim. That in itself seems to have backfired significantly. It was suggested to me yesterday that if Chris Licht had any future left in television, he blew it with his obvious involvement in whatever way he was involved with the variety answer, the piece that fell apart the day it was published. It was suggested as well that Licht might now be able to get a production assistance job on MSNBC's Morning Joe. Might. Still ahead on Countdown, what would have been my dad's birthday and two of my favorite stories about him out of the 200 or so, well, 2,000. First, time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, Elon Musk. Things are getting scrambled at X. See what I did there? After Elmo implied that the cardiac arrest suffered by LeBron James Jr. was the result of the COVID vaccine, the Twitter community notes system added the relevant fact to his tweet that the risk of myocarditis in teenage boys who were vaccinated, like Bronny James was, was half of that of the risk of myocarditis in teenage boys who'd had COVID. 
that community note appended to the Musk tweet suddenly vanished. Coincidence, no doubt. The runner-up? Elon Musk. Wow, what are the odds? The Wall Street Journal reports that Elmo has warned advertisers that starting in two weeks, their brand name Twitter accounts will only get to keep their gold check marks, their verification, if they have spent $1,000 in Twitter advertising in the previous 30 days or $6,000 in the previous 180 days. Not only is that extortion, blackmail, a threat to let other people pretend to be the brand on Twitter, but it's it's cheap extortion. Hey, Amazon, you better spend, checks blackmail note, $12,000 a year with us or else. But our winner, <laughs> wait, no way. The winner is also Elon Musk? Britain's Telegraph newspaper reports that Musk's company has gained control of the Twitter account at X, which it did not have control of when Musk changed the name of the company to X, Given that some of the people who had single-digit Twitter account handles back from 2007 when the handles were given out, like the guy who has at N, they claim they have been offered up to $50,000 for them. One would expect that the owner of at X, San Francisco photographer Gene X Huang, got some coin for it, or at least got something cool. No, he says he just got an email saying that all Twitter handles are Twitter's property or X's property, and it was taking at X back. Since the bad publicity, Huang says he's been offered the opportunity to meet some ex-leaders of the company and also to get some ex-merchandise, which would, of course, make it worse. On the other hand, they did give him a cool new handle. At X, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, eight, seven, six, five. I can't decide. Does this final breakdown for Elon Musk end more like with him starting to spew like Kanye West, or more like he's about to hold up a bank to find the money to keep the servers going for Twitter for another 24 hours? Elon Musk, not just the worst, but today's worst three persons in the world! Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. To the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promised not to tell, and my dad, Theodore Colin Olbermann, was born 94 years ago this Saturday, and he died 13 years and four months ago in March of 2010. If you are an orphan like me, young or old, you know that processing the death of a parent is not just unlike anything else you experience in life, but it's also utterly non-linear. It is tougher for me to deal with today than it was the day it happened, but not as tough as five years ago in, but tougher than at seven years and less tough that you get the idea. And the idea that my dad is gone 13 years, that the span is now identical to the length of time it took me between the day I graduated from college and the day I started on SportsCenter is way more difficult to get my head around then is the fact that he is gone. As I'm sure is also true for you, I could tell you six months uninterrupted stories about my dad. But I happened recently to be thinking of two of them, connected not in time but in topic, and I thought you might be as amazed by them as I continue to be amazed by them and by him. Understand, my dad was born basically two months and change before the stock market crash of 1929. His dad was a pretty mercurial guy, and that's a polite way of describing him. He had a city job in the pits of the Depression. He got a promotion. He showed up to work in a sports shirt that first day because he, like my dad, like me, had a weird neck and throat things and collars and ties hurt. And when they said, Harry, you got to wear a shirt and a tie. You got a promotion. He said, the hell with that. And he asked to have his old job back, and they said, Harry, the moment you got promoted, we had 837 applications. It's the Depression. So he said, I quit. And so my dad, at the age of seven, maybe eight, and his two brothers, one older, one younger, saw the family income drop from like $4,000 a year to, as dad put it, the 200 bucks or so we made collecting and recycling old comic books the next year. So a decade after that, when my father graduated as the valedictorian of the New York High School of Industrial Arts, and he was offered a full scholarship to a major architecture college, his dad, who never understood that his own son was not just doodling, said flat out that if my father went to college, that would mean his younger brother, Bill, would have to quit high school and go to work because otherwise the family would starve. My dad had to turn the architectural college scholarship down. He went to work, went to work in a department store, and then he became a draftsman. 
and he finally got his architectural license 20 years after that. 20 years. Never went to college. Just some night school and just finding out about a key law that said if you could pass the architecture exam, the state of New York had to give it to you. He wrote them. They had to give it to him. They gave it to him. He passed. Then they changed the law, which apparently had been written in 1856. Soon, my father was licensed in 40 of the 50 states, and basically every Baskin-Robbins ice cream parlor in this country was something he had designed. And I don't know how many more stores he built for his other clients, but it must have been in the thousands. And five years after he finally got his license, he had a Cadillac and got a new one through the lease every other year. I was in a private school, and he was turning down architectural assignments because he just didn't have the time. So when it came time for me to go to college, my dad said, apply anywhere you think you can get in. Pick the thing that's best for you. We'll pay for it. I narrowed it down to Boston University, Cornell, and Harvard. I had lined up an internship through a friend with the Boston Celtics. Boston University had the top communications program in the nation. Harvard was Harvard. And Cornell was there in case something went wrong at BU and Harvard wouldn't let me in, frankly. Now, in those days, high school kids did not strategize beginning at age two as to how to get into a good college. So when I sent in my applications and I noted I had not only been the sports editor of the high school newspaper and yearbook and radio station, but I also had been the associate editor of the first baseball memorabilia reference book, and I was the paid editor of a professionally produced memorabilia magazine, this was the kind of extracurricular activity these schools would not see on every other application. They would see it about once a decade. My dad and I go to BU for the visit, and we are greeted, not by some guy from the admissions office, but by the dean of the School of Public Communications. And all three of us talk for maybe half an hour, and at the end of it, the dean asks my dad about the financials, and he says, look, Mr. Elberman, we don't do this a lot, but we really would like Keith to be here. We don't have a lot of latitude on these things, but I've gotten approval. We can occasionally do this. We can offer you a merit scholarship. My dad didn't really register this, but I did immediately because I've been reading about all the application processes around the country, and I gasp, and I say, a free ride? And the dean says, yeah, everything but food. Food you have to pay for yourself. And my father knits his eyebrows, and he looks at me, and then he knits his eyebrows again, and he looks at the dean, and then he bursts out laughing. That's what he had been offered 27 years earlier at the architectural college, and he could not take it. So the dean now takes us on the tour of the Boston University School of Public Communications. Heart of the city. Trolley trains clanging past every 90 seconds. Busy, bustling, clean. Enough trees to make it look like a college. The Celtics internship is a short ride on the T away. And free! Now we see the ultra-modern dorm for freshmen, and it's great. And the professional radio station, which was NPR and played classical music, and all the guys are wearing ties. And the dean says, this is mostly grad students, but I have no doubt that you can find a place here. And then he takes us to the undergrad radio station, and it's a little seedier, but it's still first-class equipment, lots of different studios, and there's a kid in the on-air studio playing rock, and he's like... 6'4 and 40 pounds, greasy, stringy, curly hair hanging to his 40-pound waist and little granny glasses. 
And the dean waits until the disc jockey turns off the on-air light. He opens the door to the studio, and he says, Well, 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 if it isn't my favorite student. Great timing. Believe it or not, I'm going to leave you this very qualified applicant in your hands for a couple of minutes because i got a class I have to go teach. You tell them whatever you want to tell them. Keith, Mr. Olderman, whenever you decide, as we hope you will, to join us, call me directly. Call Collect. Mr. Olderman, if you would, uh, walk me out to the front door here and just let's talk a little of the logistics. And now they leave, and when it's just the jock and me, the jock says to me in a deep voice, New York accent, good to see you, Dean. And the door closes, and he adds, you fraud. Kid, he says, don't make my mistake. Don't come here. And I'm shocked, and I explain it's going to be free. Well, what's that they say? You get what you pay for, right? Listen, the grad students run the real station. They won't even let you wash the toilets in the real station. Took me two years just to get in here to this lousy midday show twice a week. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm going to be the best dish jockey of all time. You don't even get to take any communications classics here until you're a junior. Just general studies. And the dean, let me just put it this way. I'm not his favorite student. I don't know if you could tell, kid. Any questions? I was speechless. Then I see my dad reappear outside the studio, and he comes in and shakes this kid's hand, and the kid says, Don't worry, Dad. I told your boy everything he really needs to know. And we leave. We go back to Logan Airport. We get on the shuttle. We go home. That night, I read the Boston University catalog from front to last page, and everything that the world's next greatest disc jockey has told me, damn it, he's right. Two years of general studies... You can't even get into a communications class, let alone the radio station, let alone the undergrad radio station until you are a junior. Also, they will not even give me college credit, not one for the Celtics internship. Then comes the news story a couple days later that in that brand new ultra modern freshman dorm, they found a dead student in the hallway. And I don't know what it was, but between what the world's next greatest disc jockey ever has told me and the dead body in the hallway, I'm thinking it's going to be Harvard or Cornell, meaning it's almost certainly Cornell because I don't think Harvard's going to let me in. And my dad says, uh, you know, I think they've probably removed that body by now. And then he says, I can't argue with the restrictions on not being able to be on the radio station until you're a junior. What's the point of that? I will remind you just once, though, of one other detail. It is free. A couple weeks later, we go to Harvard for the interview. That goes well. They like me. They don't have a communications major, but I could go in under English or history or general studies. And the admission guy says, your extracurriculars are extraordinary and the internship is great, but you have a numbers problem here. There's 70 kids in your senior class. Four of you guys have applied. And how are your grades compared to theirs? And I gulp and I say, well... There are the two guys who've had the 4.0s since they were in the womb. And then there's the other guy who's had one since the third grade. And then there's me, and I'm only National Honor Society and like, you know, 3.85 or something. But I am a 15-year-old senior. And the admission guy says, ordinary year, that would get you in. If you're the only applicant from your school, that would get you in. You're number four out of four. It's going to be tough. So dad and I go to Cornell and the campus is like my high school, only it's a thousand times larger and everything is uphill. There is no downhill at Cornell. It's only uphill from here. 
And the communications department is a joke. We go see the facilities in the fall of 1974, and they are in a converted barn with broken windows in the barn and rusty razor blades for editing audio tape, and there are no students in there, just broken windows and rusty razor blades. Any TV, I ask? And the guy says, well, we have TV on campus. And I say, no, I mean, any TV station or classes for the students in communication arts? And he laughs. He says, I think you can rent one of those new video cameras and tape decks for like $50 an hour. But there is a really good radio station, he says. We don't own it or anything. We don't even run it. The students own it. And it's commercial. They sell commercials. You should go see it before you leave town. Now I'm just shaking my head and praying that the guy at Harvard will get me in. And my dad offers to take me over to the radio station. And I say, why bother? And we start the five-hour drive home. And I say, the good thing here is the communications program is inside the agriculture college. And the agriculture college, although it's first rate might be actually a little tougher than some of the arts school. It's a state school. So if you're a New Yorker, the tuition is a tenth of what you'd pay in the arts college, and you can take all the history and the English classes you want, and if that radio station is any good, I can spend most of my time over there. And it's not free, but it's a lot less than my high school currently costs. But it ain't Harvard. And my father says, I told you before, I want you to do what you decide is best if it's Harvard and it costs us Harvard money, don't think twice. I get it about BU. I get it about Cornell. None of us have graduated college in a hundred years. You figure out what's best. I'll figure out how to pay for it. So Harvard turned me down. The two 4.0 since the womb guys got in, the 4.0 guy who'd only been there since the third grade, he got waitlisted. I got the, we know it's our loss letter, which was dated April 9th, 1975, in which I received April 11th, 1975, after the folks and my sister and I all got back from the Yankees home opener at Shea Stadium, a 5-3 to three loss to the Detroit Tigers. Not that I remember everything, or not that I'm still bitter, or not that I wrote them back and said, you bet it's your loss. That's just a rumor. No comment. No comment. Cornell accepted me. I went to Cornell. There are a couple of postscripts. The kid with the long stringy hair who was, you know, 6'4 and 40 pounds and the New York accent who was going to be the greatest disc jockey of all time. The kid who talked me out of going to Boston University was, of course, Howard Stern. When I first saw him on TV in 1988 or so, I said, that guy looks exactly like the kid who talked me out of going to Boston University. Years later, I was at Howard's show, and we had a conversation about this. No, it wasn't me. I, I don't remember meeting you. I said, well, we hadn't even exchanged names then. I, I don't remember any of it. And I said, did you and the dean there not get along? Oh, man, the dean hated me. Like one day he came into the studios, one time with some high school kid and his father. Oh, boy, we gave each other a hard time after that. He says I talked him out of it. And I said, that was my dad and me. Not a chance. I would have remembered meeting you. I said, we didn't mention names, Howard. Also, I was like five inches shorter and I was 15. No, it wasn't you. It wasn't me. I promise you. And I said, Howard, your shift was Tuesdays and Thursdays, middays, and you didn't like it. Yeah. And I said, how many other kids at the radio station who were disc jockeys looked like you? He said, none. Nobody looks like me. And I said, how would you know 
if you were me, about the Dean and you if, if you hadn't seen it or heard it. I don't know. I don't remember meeting you. The guy was Howard Stern. So at Cornell, the postscript is this. It turned out the radio station was the greatest training ground in the radio business. It turned out 10 to 20 professional broadcasters per year. We sold about a quarter million dollars in advertising every year, and this is in the 351st largest market in the country. And when you're 351st, the word largest is inappropriate. There was an organized training program at WVBR-FM that was better than any college course anywhere. By the time of my sophomore year, I was the sports director. By my junior year, I was running the training program for the whole station. After my senior year, I was well enough trained and had been on the air so many times, like 1,500 times, that I went directly from WVBR to a 1,000-station radio network, and I took every history and English class I could, and Dad paid one-tenth what all the other dads of all the other kids in the English and history classes paid. And when I went back for a visit in 2011, the three history professors I had took me out to lunch because they were fanboys. Very little to this point would suggest that this is really a story about my father and not about me. But it is. It is entirely about him. My freshman year, when it started, the whole family took me up, and I believe this was strategical. It was better that way. With three of them, they were able to bar the doors and force me to stay, which was not my inclination. My sophomore year, which was a little easier on me, it was just my dad and me. We drove up there in a par borrowed pickup truck with all my stuff in the back, and somehow we get onto the campus via a back route, and he's lost. And I say, wait, wait, wait don't worry. I know where, it, where we are. I know it from here. Besides which, it, it works out. Look, if you make the last next left, we can see something you'd probably like to see. It's the architecture college. It's called, and I'm about to name it. I'm about to say Rand Hall, which was the name of the architecture college, and he interrupts me. And my dad says, matter-of-factly, Rand Hall. Yeah, I know. Right at the bend of uh, the avenue here. Yeah, remember I told you about the uh, architectural scholarship that I couldn't take? And I still don't realize what's coming. I say, yeah. And he goes, yeah, well, it was, uh, it was here. It was Cornell. This place offered me the scholarship I couldn't take. Are you hungry? I'm damned hungry. I couldn't speak. I can barely speak now. This is 1976, and I still haven't gotten over this. Through all of this back and forth about college that consumed a year, Cornell, BU, Harvard, merit scholarships, free rides, the dead student in the hallway, the Celtics internship, the New York State discount, go to Harvard if you get in, Howard Stern, his own father, his brother, the Depression, through all of that, my dad never once mentioned that Cornell had been his dream, his escape, his free ticket, that he had to give up, that he had to replace with working as a draftsman and going to night school for nearly 20 years. Never mentioned it. Finally, I spoke. Could have been hours later, could have been days later. You didn't tell me? How did you resist? He pulled into a parking spot in front of a diner. Do you think, after what my father did to me, that I was going to try to influence your decision about college? 
even put that thought in your mind about going here because I couldn't go here? Never. Never in 20 lifetimes. He's gone 13 years. Around year three, me and a bunch of the other alums from the radio station decided that our successors, who had kind of fallen on hard times and WVBR-FM was now operating out of the basement of something called the National Heifers Association. (laughs) We decided that we needed to get them out from under the cows, that they needed an entirely new radio station to learn in as we were privileged to, as I was privileged to, thanks to my dad. I'm proud to say I paid for nearly the whole thing, and therefore I got to name it. And I named it for two people, one of whom was my friend Glenn Cornelius, who was the program director who died very young. You can guess the name of the other person I named it after. So if you're ever in Ithaca, New York, go to 604 East Buffalo Street and you will see it. WVBR-FM, WVBR Cornell Media Guild, the Olbermann Cornelius Studios. My dad would say two things about that, I believe. Clever, the way you named it after me, but it also just happens to have your name in it, too. And then he'd say, also good ordering of the names. You wouldn't want anybody actually thinking there was ever somebody named Cornelius Olbermann. <laughs> done all the damage i can do here thank you for listening here are the credits most of the music arranged produced and performed by brian ray and john philip chanel they are the countdown musical directors all orchestration and keyboards by john philip chanel guitars bass and drums by brian ray produced by tko brothers other beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group no horns allowed Sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend John Dean, and everything else was pretty much my fault. Remember, Countdown is now also available on YouTube. If you'd like to look at me talking off camera... That's Countdown for this, the 933rd day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him again while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown is tomorrow, bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olderman. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.